the fire department. Like these are all things that are not acceptable to be an open gay man, but they do promise you an intimate family experience. And so I've never got to have both at the same time, <laughs> ever. So you go into the army and you enlist, and yes. then they. How long does it take you from when you get that brochure to go into it? Pretty quickly, with probably a month, maybe. I mean, I went through the process really quickly. I mean, it was like, and and again, I didn't have anything to have to get rid of. Like, I didn't have any belongings, so joining the army was easy for me. And did you tell Josh I'm leaving, or did you just cut ties instantly with no word? I'm sure I I'm sure that I told him that I was just joining the army, but I'm. I don't remember it specifically one way or the other. I just, in my memory, I just, I cried over him one day. The next day I'm at boot camp in, <laughs> in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. You know what I'm saying? So, and it totally worked, man. It absolutely worked. I definitely got over him after I joined the army. Like having that separation where you couldn't call or talk or see each other and you had miles and, and he moved on with his life. And Are I, you a masochist? <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> it just, it just, it just seems. Well, you, you didn't answer the question. No, I'm not. Okay, okay. No. Okay. It just seems like you do the hardest thing and the most damaging thing to get over. It's like the, to get over someone, you go into the army and then you 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 put your homosexual back and homosexuality back into the closet. You you definitely kill something, a part of you and it, that doesn't. You're not allowing it to flourish, and all the, just so that you can get over someone. That just seems like. To me, very like I would, I don't know, just yeah. It wasn't all for the record. It wasn't all just to get over Josh. It was I joined the army. The same reason I joined the church was to gain a family again. Like after I left the church, I didn't have that. I was in Maine, literally by myself, maybe with some random acquaintances of friends or something like that. But I certainly had nobody that would call me a brother or nobody that would. That it was part of a, a group or part of. I mean, humans are very social creatures. Yeah, but I think at this point, for me, it's like you are you're finding yourself who you are as a person. Like you're coming into it. Like you're you're on that path to find who you are who you are now. Back then, but you go to a place that would essentially kill you for being that person. And so why go into a family that's not going to be ex accepting? Because you've already gone through that multiple times and you know how dangerous that is. Why go back into that with the army, even if they can offer you stability and brotherhood? Well, because up to that point, I never had a positive relationship. I never had like, I, I, was, ne it was, I was never in a, a relationship that was, how could, I, up to that point, I either had to choose between myself or a family. And I always chose the family. That's just how I always, my mind always worked. I would have, I never had a relationship that I thought, well, I can never go in the army because then I would lose being able to have this kind of relationship with ex, with this person or whatever. Like I never had a healthy relationship, but I did experience love of a family through the church. And so it was easy for me to, to give up one for the other at that point in my life. I would never do it now, but I didn't, honestly, that kind of love that I'm talking about, I didn't, I didn't find until two years ago. And I was in an 11-year relationship with a guy, and I didn't have it with him. Like, I'm just now, I'm 42 years old, and I'm just now in a relationship that is completely healthy, that's completely 100%, and it's a long-distance relationship, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> so so that, you go into the Army. I go in the Army as a medic. Okay. Okay? Um, I end up in Fort Stewart, Georgia. When you say as a medic, they're like, they train you to become a medic? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, I... My, I went to 
like AIT, which is the 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 what you where you go to train for whatever your job is in the army. I went to that in um, San Antonio, which is where all the medics that are in the army go to train for their job in the army. And then from there, I got deployed to Fort Stewart, Georgia. So I was in Georgia, um, and I was in the army for about two years. And this is right about the time when a little website called Gay.com <laughs> pops up, which is basically the very first version of Grinder or something like that, right? And so that was my first really online experience of starting to meet other gay people. And this is all the while you're in the army. In the army, uh -huh. on in, on an army base. So the majority of the people that are on Gay.com at that time are completely anonymous because don't ask, don't tell policy was still in place and and you couldn't be openly gay and in the army. And so I was, one day, I started having a conversation with somebody who didn't want to share a picture and didn't want to tell anything about himself. But we had, like, great conversation. It was never really, it was nothing sexual or anything like that. Back then, phones didn't have cameras on them or anything like that. They were just flip phones, right? So the, the art of um, selfies hadn't really come into existence yet. And so... He, and he didn't feel comfortable exchanging pictures online because we were both in the military and on the base and stuff like that. And so we decided that we'd meet up at um, a restaurant at a bar. And so I walk in, and, I'm, and he, we had described what we would be wearing, mm -hmm. and I walk in, and it was my first sergeant of my, <laughs> oh, of, of my unit sitting there. And he looks at me, and, I, and the blood rushes from his face. And, I, and he's, this is somebody that's married with kids, right? At the moment, yes. in the army, married with kids, yes, struggling with homosexuality. Well, I, I'm just all I, I can't. All I can say is that he was on Gay.com, and that's where we met. <laughs> that's I can't speak to his sexuality or anything like that. I can just say that that's how we met. So we met. We we sat down and we kind of made a joke about how awkward it was and how we were both a little surprised. We never. Were you, were you also a little, in the sense, like relieved that you had someone so close no, to you in the army that no. you could share this kind of with? Maybe if it was anybody else, but this particular first sergeant was a fucking asshole. <laughs> Holy shit! He was a real dick. So my first thought was fear. My first thought was fear, which was later realized when a few weeks after that, I get called into my commander's office to find out somebody had anonymously told me, told him that I was gay and that I had been pat patroning like gay bars and stuff like that. Over, a, since we are on a time limit, we have. There are some things that we're gonna have to skip by. But no, we're gonna, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'll just. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll stay here till they kick us out. I, I got called into my commander's office and am told that that an investigation is being opened about my 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 sexual innuendos or whatever. And this my was sexual shortly activity. after. Yes. You met up. with Yeah, your with first my sergeant. first sergeant at this restaurant. Um, and I ended up getting kicked out of the That's army. That's not for a it. coincidence. Whatsoever. I ended up getting kicked out, and it was that was a terrible time in my life because I was attached to an 11th Infantry Division, which is these are guys who are so gung ho about being gung ho about they are so passionate about being heterosexual males holding their rifles and their machine guns, and I'm only there, I'm their one medic for their whole unit, right? And so when the word starts spreading around that, that I'm gay and I'm out here sleeping with them in their tents and they're in the swamp for, for 25 days of the month, and I start getting through the process of getting my discharge papers because they're not going to let me stay in the Army. They're kicking me out of the Army for sure. And I have to stay with those guys for like the two months as I'm going through this process and exercise with them and go on training missions with them, know, the, them knowing that I'm gay. It was fucking terrible, man. 
It was terrible. Terrible in the sense where, like, this is where you actually start to get bullied. Yeah, I, I, not bullied, but I mean, definitely, I mean, set apart. Definitely, like, rejected by my my by my unit, by myself. So there's still like a, a level of respect there. Just you're just kind of ostracized. I I would not say that there was a level of respect, no, oh, okay. but definitely ostracized. Yeah. Because I, I have to stay with them as I go through my unit and stuff like that. And I eventually I get taken off my detail and have to work the desk while I'm going through my paperwork and getting discharged. But I want to be clear about and one thing. I want to be clear that I was relieved to be getting kicked out of the Army. The Army was a terrible choice for me. I had already lived way too much life experience. So to have somebody that's barely 18, year old, 18 years old that outranks me telling me to drop and give him 50, it was a very humbling experience. These kids, I'm at... I was way too sporadic and nomadic in my life to ever join something that was so structured. Uh, people telling me when to wake up, when to go to sleep, where to do, what to eat. It was a terrible choice for me. So even though the experience of getting kicked out of the Army was terrible, there was a part of me that could not wait to get out of the Army. And did you ever think about doing the same to your first sergeant? Or are you still like a Christian to where like you, are, you don't have that in you to be that vengeful? Um... I never, honestly, I never ever thought to 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 turn him in or say, "Hey, I I don't know who told you about me, but I'll let you know my experience with first sergeant." Like I never thought about that because, I mean, full disclosure, when it all went down, at first I was terrified, and then I was immediately relieved to to the the, the prospect of getting out of the army. I was not going to fight it. I was I never <laughs> I did not fight. I did not put up a fight at all. Let me out. You don't want me here because I'm gay. Peace. Was, Let me out. Um, like, what are some moments in there that were so? Made, was it terrible for you? Like, what, what? Why was it so bad for you? Like, why did you say? It, there, I just felt like state? there was a lot of underlining shame. There was a lot of like. I remember one one time, I was having a conversation. This is after I was going through the process of getting kicked out, and and one of the guys told me that, oh man, your parents must be really proud. Like it was just so like. Well, I'm saying like before that. In the last two months, like between those two years that you in there, why was it so was it so bad for you? Were there moments you're like, "Fuck, I hate this." Besides the fact of like having someone to tell you do fifty or want to wake up, um, a lot of little things. Like for instance, being attached to a unit in Georgia and having to stay in the swamp in the middle of the summer is miserable. And I w and these the guys that are were Eleventh Infantry. They were they joined the they probably couldn't think of anything else to do with their life but being in the army. They were lifers. They were passionate about it. They loved the army. I hated the army, and I had to hate the army in Georgia in the summer in the swamp. <laughs> you know, I just I hated, and I I just did not have a good military experience, man. Like I just hated it. I didn't like it at all. And so, even though the army did kick me out for being gay, I want to be very clear that it was at the end of the day, it was I was relieved. Yeah. I I don't ever. I mean, I don't ever see myself as a victim. Like oh. The army kicked me out for beginning. I don't ever want to pretend that I would have stayed in the army had they given me the choice. So do you take this education they've given you as a medic and apply that afterwards? So you go and get a job like at a hospital? Um, as I ended up becoming a paramedic working on a truck, like uh, working for the city of San Antonio. Um, so you go from Georgia back to Texas. Yeah, I get out of the army. I come back to Texas. And that is when I really make my first contact with my mother again in all of these years. And why do you come back to Texas as opposed to going somewhere else where you can just get away from everything once again? Maybe like coming back to roots, coming back to something familiar. I went to AIT in San Antonio. I did my training in San Antonio. There, 
really, I mean, there was no, uh, I could have gone anywhere, but I don't, I don't really have a reason except for the fact that I just kind of came back where my journey kind of started to mm -hmm. begin with, you know, and I kind of migrated back down this way. At the time when I reached out to, um, to my mother again, she was working for a construction equipment rental business as basically the manager of this place. And I would say that at that point I was still a Christian. I was not, I was the typical Christian that says I'm Christian, but I'm not religious. I'm a Christian, but I don't go, I don't believe in organized religion. That's kind of the place that I was at in my life. I still believed in Adam and Eve, and I still believe that Jesus walked on water, and I still believe that he was in the grave for three days and then floated into the sky. I still openly accepted all of those things, okay? But I just did not go to church. I didn't want to go to, couldn't have got, find myself back in a situation where maybe it would have been different if I would have found a, an open church that's like, hey, we accept gay people. Was that even exist back then? I'm sure that they were. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like to me, the first time I heard about an open gay church was like not too long ago. It was like recent. So. I, I've I heard about them through like almost like secrets. <laughs> <laughs> like you had to have a secret knock or something to get into them. But I did. I do not know that there were what they would consider open churches, like people who accepted, you know, openly gay Christians or whatever, and they believe that you could be gay and and um, a Christian, but my experience so far in the church are, are church people who believe that you can be gay, but God's answer to that is a life of abstinence. Mm -hmm. That you can be gay, you just can't be actively gay. You have to be a, a, live a life of abstinence. So that was my experience up to that point. And it was at that time when after I came back and made contact with with my birth mother again and try to build a relationship again because again I'm seeking family and I kind of went back to where to my own family hoping that I could find something there and it was at that time that I had met a guy named Addison and we met online and do you think about contacting Josh at this point also we like after the because two years had gone by we I mean throughout uh, throughout my entire life I've we've always stayed in contact in one way or another Maybe once every couple years we'll reach out and say, hey, just checking the weather. How are you? How are you doing? You know, since then he's come out. Of, I mean, a lot of ha has happened since those days. You know, he's come out of the closet and he's gotten married to a guy and all these other things. So he's definitely basically been a ghost from my past that up until maybe the last couple of years, I've always struggled with as somebody that was like the one that got away or the one that I felt the most affection for <clears throat> or the, that I was most physically attracted to. I feel like a lot of people have somebody like that in their life. Even heterosexual people have somebody that they kind of always remember <coughs> maybe more fondly than it was in the moment as yeah. time passes. You know what I'm saying? So he's like, we've always stayed in contact, through not, not normally and not regularly, but we've always kept in contact and knew where the other was and what was going on. With him, it's a lot easier because he still lives in the same town and still works for the same department. Me, I've had many adventures since then. So I met this guy named Addison, and I invited him over for a, a little barbecue that I was having with some friends. I was working at a restaurant at that time. I was like and, doing little and odd were jobs. And you staying with your mom? Yes, at that moment, at that time, I was staying with my mom. She had to trailer out in the country, and she was working this this um, business, and I was sleeping in one of the rooms, and. I'd say at, at that time, we, we got along. I mean, I had grown up since then, but 
I had my, the most life-defining epiphany in my life hadn't happened yet. And so therefore I wasn't to the point where I was curious enough to sit down and ask her questions about my birth father or, or why she got married so many times. Or that, I mean, I, even now talking to this microphone, I never once, we never talked about the time that she had sex in front of me in a, in a motel. Is she still alive? Yes. And, okay. and she follows me on Facebook. I know this. And she's reached out to me at least once a year for the last a decade or so, and I've never, never respond. Like it's, I've told her several times that I don't want to have any relationship with her, and I'm about to tell you why. Um, after I met this guy named Madison, he, we went on, he came over and we had our first date kind of thing, and it was just, and I know he's probably going to listen to this, and I want to be very clear that I still very much care about Addison. We were together for almost 12 years, and his brother is my the best friend I've ever had in my life, who is my roommate now, and I mean. The joke has always been that even though Addison and I never had kids, we'll always share custody of Justin. <laughs> like, I feel like we'll always be involved in each other's lives. And the reason that we broke up are not the reasons that most people break up. I have to, I have to wade into that part of my story. But um, it is very important to understand that, that, that even that 12 years, the longest relationship I've ever had in my life, I do not consider a healthy relationship. We did not have a good sexual relationship. We, we were oil and water. But when you're lonely... And when he's lonely and when you don't have any family, you end up going on one date and then fucking A, you wake up 12 years later and you're still with the same person. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't happen to all the people, but there are a lot of people that I think you and I both can agree on that have been married or together for a long time that probably should not be together. Oh, but they have their own reasons for staying together, whether they have bills or kids or car payments or an incredible amount of debt. Every relationship that is still together that should not be together have their own reasons for staying together. And, and so how do you get from that one day to that point? Like what happens after that first date? About six months into our relationship, my mother comes to me and to Addison and says she owed some taxes on her business and wanted to know if she could use one of our credit cards to pay the taxes on the business and that she'd pay us back the next month. Addison had an American Express. We talked about it and thought, well, we'll let her use the American Express to, to pay the taxes, and in return, we'll get the points for it, and we'll be able to do something fun with the miles or whatever, and she'll pay us back the next month. And had she been uh, like trustworthy up until this point to where you're like, oh, yeah, I could definitely do it? I don't, that's, I don't know. If, I didn't ever look at it as a point of trustworthy. I, I looked at it as the fact that for the first time in our lives, we got along. And then we hung out and we would sit on the porch and talk. And it was a new kind of relationship that I had with my mother. So I don't, I don't look at it as, did I trust her? I looked at it as that for the first time in my life, we were actually getting along. And it just, we, Addison and I both made the decision that this is something, it was not a big deal to us. Yeah, here, charge the taxes, pay, us, pay, pay the car off next month, and we'll use the points. That was kind of the deal that we made. We'll use the points to take a trip or get something for our house or our, you know, the place that we live. And was it like a substantial amount of taxes? It was 5,000. Okay. Um, so she charged the 5,000 to the credit card and she eventually ended up without even telling us charging $40,000. What? And then she leaves in the middle of the night and I never saw her again. And this happened within our first year of mine and Addison being together. And what did she charge? What was that $40,000 from? We don't, we never know. We never find out. Why we, not? Wouldn't be in the credit card? Like whenever you... Oh, well, it, it was just charged to the business. To, oh. It was just charged to the business. 
So she charged the credit card to the business for all this grossly amount of money and then left and never even said anything to us. She closed down the business and left in the middle of the night and I never saw and her again. there were like no indicators in the six months that she was getting ready to like jump ship and fly. Not that she would, not getting ready to jump ship and fly, but there were instances where like when she, the month came that she's going to pay us back the 5000 she couldn't do it. She needed another month. And so it just kind of snowballed. And people ask me all the time that when I tell them that part of the story, they say, you couldn't have sued her? Why didn't you sue her and get your money back? It's not that easy. First of all, Addison and I weren't in a position to go out and hire an expensive lawyer. Also, we legally gave her permission to use the card. And also, where is she going to get this money from if yes. she's stealing from I you? Mean, I'm going to spend a lot of money on a lawyer to sue somebody who in the state of Texas is a no-pay state. She did not required to pay back. The most that the courts could do is maybe lien something of hers that she owns, which owned about as little as I owned in my life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that, and Addison will tell you himself that that is one of the, probably the defining factors about why we ended up staying together for so long. Because if that happens in your first year of a relationship and it was my mother and his credit card, there's no way, even in an unhappy relationship, am I going to leave Addison with $40,000 in debt that my mother, who I didn't even know or even like that much, put to him. Somebody who cared, Addison cared tremendously about his credit score and I never cared a damn thing about my credit score. I was obligated. I was obligated to stay with him. Even in an unhappy, sexless relationship. Why not, though, say, hey, Addison, I realize this isn't working. And I know that I, you have this debt that you got from my mother. I will help you pay for it. But I think we should separate and go our separate ways but still stay friends or at least have this kind of business, like this relationship to where, like, I help you pay this off. We just, I don't know. We just never had that conversation. But also somebody like myself who who I considered homeless, even in the army, I consider myself homeless. Even there's rootless, I guess, is the, is the word I'm looking for. For the first time, I was in a, a real relationship with another guy and we lived together and then we went off and got a, plants and, and furniture and, and painted rooms and, and it was a new experience for me. And, and then one day you wake up and, and the thought of like, Fighting over the towels or the spoons is worse than staying <laughs> together with somebody you don't love anymore or that you were never in love with. I love Addison, but I don't love him the way that I love the person that I'm with now. No, there's a definitely difference between being in love and yeah. loving someone for sure. I mean, there's even, even not even in love in love. It's, there are different forms of love. You know, I love tacos. That's the joke. I love tacos, but I'm not in love with tacos. You know, with with Addison, I loved him for being with me and I loved the life that we created together. And I loved that over over years, I, I became a collector of years. I love being able to say, I've been with Addison for four years. We've been together four years and then five years and then six years and seven, eight, nine. And then you hit the decade and you're like, yeah, we've been together 10 years. And you see people like, wow, man, that's a long time. And then you realize later that you're in a relationship, but really you're just collecting years. You're collecting the ability to say that you've been with somebody longer than normal. And was he also kind of had the, the same characteristics as Josh, where like he's pushing you away, like you love him more? No. And you're, no so, so at that it, point, you had already like let that go. And honestly, I, I was never in love with Addison. I was never in love with him. But, and I don't, it's so hard to understand how one day could turn into 12 years. I don't understand, except for, I mean, I would say that my mother's stealing $40,000 from us. That's something <laughs> to do with it. 
you know? So do you think if that never would have happened, that it thing your life would have taken a completely different yes, route? Like for sure. We both we both know this. I'm not saying that we would have stayed together as long if she hadn't have done that, but I think that it would have been more much more likely and easier for us to separate had then had we not shared that debt together. And so at this moment, when do you start gaining all the weight and becoming extremely unhealthy? That's kind of ground zero. Is like when my when my mother disappeared in the middle of the night with that money and left us with that debt and never saw her again. And being okay, how can I? Because I know Addison's gonna probably listen to this, <laughs> but so I'm not gonna say anything that I, he doesn't know that I've already said to his face. But I, Addison is grumpy. He's very grumpy. The running joke for me has always been, I'm a glass is overflowing. The cup is overflowing now in my life. Um, with Addison, it's not the glasses half empty. The glasses got piss in it. <laughs> That's, I mean, he's, we just, we just never, and he, I like little, th I felt like he, he was very OCD about like, you left another Diet Coke can here. You leaving wet towels on the floor. I felt like every time I turned around, he was like nagging me about something in return that affected my sexual attractiveness to him because nobody wants to have sex with their parents. Nobody wants to have, nobody, if you fight over something so minuscule all day long, at the end of the night, you don't want to have sex with that person. And I will say, I was with Addison for 12 years, and we had sex maybe seven times in 12 years. So we went through a six-year period and never touched each other. Wow. And at that point, you still hadn't had, like, a ton of sexual experience. Yes, exactly. With, with Josh, that was only, like, a fair short amount of time. And before that, up It was just 20s, random strangers that I would, like, maybe mess around with, like, randomly so throughout my life. I still had, at that point, had never had a, 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 a healthy sexual relationship. My, I mean, I'm in my late 30s, by, you know, at the end of our relationship. I mean, I'm... I guess I was 40 or 39 when we when we finally called it quits, which we'll get to my favorite part of the story. But like even I was with somebody for 12 years and went through an entire 12 year relationship and never had a healthy sexual relationship. Like it was just that aspect of our relationship was so terrible, but it was not so terrible that we would call it quits. We were just in the middle. We never fought. We never screamed. We never slammed doors. We never called each other bad names, but we also never held hands. We never, I mean, Addison, we went through most of our half of our relationship with him and he wasn't even out. Do, is that also why you think another reason you stayed 12 years? Because it's also another way for you to kind of put your homosexuality back into the closet. If you're, if you're never showing affection in public and you're not having much sex, you're essentially not being 100% no. homosexual. No, I wanted those things. Okay. I wanted to hold his hand or I wanted to hold hands. I didn't want to hold his hand. I wanted to have sex, and I wanted to be in a relationship. I didn't want to have sex with Addison, and I didn't want to have, be in a relationship with Addison. But the life that I lived told me that it was that even in that instance, I, it was better than me being homeless or familyless again. And so are you coping with all this through food? Is that whenever you start eating a yes. lot and not exercising and I mean, not caring as much? Maybe like the first couple months that Addison and I date, started dating, we went to the river and we took a, a selfie there on a camera and we went through the rest of our relationship and never took a selfie again. We never had a single photo of us printed in our apartment or anything like that. Because the thing with gaining, with having not, I mean, the army, when I was in the army, I was in shape. I was a stud. All right. I mean, we ran every day. <laughs> we first to work out. My, my meals were like, 
you know, portioned, you know, like everything was controlled for me. And then for whatever reason, I don't know if it has something to do with me being homeless when I was younger or whatever, but being in an unhealthy, unhealthy relationship with Addison, food definitely became like a comfort thing for me. I'm the, if, if I was unhealthy or, or we were fighting about something, I would just go to the fridge or I'd, I mean, for some, we, we both like to eat for some reason. That was something that we had common ground in. Um, and as he sees you growing, does he ever bring it up? No. And I will, and that's something that I've always spoken so fondly about Addison, because even in our worst times, he never called me a fat. He never, and honestly, there was, our sexist relationship was more me than it was him. There were many times that he instigated and wanted to, and I would feign a headache or a heartburn, or I'd cause a fight, <laughs> and I'd go sleep in the other room because I just didn't want to have sex with him. I can only say that now that we've, out of our so, relationship, we moved on to healthier relationships, and we both have talked about this. I'm not saying anything to this microphone that him and I have not talked about. So why openly. make an excuse? Why just not say, no, I don't want to have sex with you? Why was that so hard to say? Because that's hurtful to somebody. I mean, I cared about Addison. I cared about his feelings. I just wasn't in love with him. And also, I'm the one. I, I mean, by towards the end of our relationship, like I had gained, I mean, 260 pounds. 260 pounds, man. You know, so like. And there, what's going through your head whenever you're seeing your? Do you see it happening? Because I know, for instance, some people don't actually notice it. I've even noticed a few pounds, like, oh, shit, I'm 20 pounds heavier. I didn't even notice it happened. Like, are you seeing it happen? I noticed it. I definitely noticed it in the beginning, but the, it's hard to notice it when you refuse it, when you don't take pictures. You know, like, you, you yeah. look at yourself in the mirror every day, so you don't really notice the change. But if you had photos from two years ago next to a photo from two years later, the change is way more obvious then. In that time, I'd gained probably 100 pounds. But I didn't have that. We didn't. We never had photos of ourselves in our apartment. And are you still um, a paramedic at yes. this point? Okay. Yeah, I was still working on a. I, earlier on, I was still working on, on a truck as a medic, and then I ended up going to. Uh, we ended up going on a cruise to Alaska and getting a. Is that our? Are we out? Time's up. No. Yeah, but no. Keep going. <laughs> um, has it already been two hours? Hour and a half. Okay. Um, we haven't even got the good part. I have to. I have you're to, good. You're good. You're good. You're good. I'm enjoying this conversation, okay. and it's good. It's quite the adventure, right? Yeah. So, like, I'm wait, I'm like asking, when's this book coming out? Yeah. Listen, <laughs> we haven't even gotten the good part. So, so you're a paramedic. Yes, and I at this point, I mean, I had, I had ballooned to certainly over 400 pounds by the time I became a photographer because I we ended up going to Alaska and I stopped by Walmart and got a little point and shoot camera for our trip. So how how are you? Are you? So I'm thinking of you. You're you're like what at least 300 at this part, yes. and you're in the truck as a paramedic, which is How not uncommon they? for for people that are firefighters or paramedics because okay. it's a lot of sitting around. It's a lot of fast food. Okay, and, and so you're just, able to you're you're mobile. You're able to work still at this point. Like you can function. Yes, okay. it's hard. I'm, my ass crack is showing all over the place, <laughs> you know, and I'm constantly have to get bigger clothes, that kind of stuff. And I go. We go to Alaska to go fishing and do and have these adventures and and i had this little point shoot camera and i just start taking pictures of random stuff trees it was a little digital camera right one little square ones and i came back and we we're going through the photos and i had i went took a couple of them down to like walgreens and had printed and really they were the first photos that i had printed and put in a frame in our 
in our house at our apartment and something just happened inside me. I thought, oh man, look at what I did. I took that photo in Alaska and for the first time in my life, I really got a glimmer of something that I felt like it could be. I was never passionate about the army. I was never passionate about being a medic. I just did those things because that's where the branches split and I just kind of went left instead of right. I was passionate about being in the ministry though, and I was very good at it. I was very good at it. I was passionate about being a worship leader. But 20 years had passed between those things and I had lost what it felt like to be passionate about something. And I'd never, I don't feel like I'd ever been creative my entire life. I was too busy in being in survival mode to have time to, to be creative. And so something came out inside of me and I came back and I thought, man, could I really do that? Could I really be an artist? Can I really be a photographer? Were those pictures that inspiring? Or it yes, was just the fact they, were, that they were terrible photos. <laughs> <was> they like <laughs> no, they were terrible photos. Low right. quality. They were like two megapixels. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, they were terrible point and shoot camera. But it was a matter of having lived so long and not done anything or produced anything that I was proud of. I was such an unproud person my entire life. I never really felt pride. And when I had those photos printed at that Walgreens and put them on in that cheap Walmart photo frame, I felt really proud for the first time in my life, man. I thought when people came to the apartment, I said, yeah, look at this. I took this in Alaska. That's my picture. You know what I'm saying? And it just brought me alive, man. It really brought me alive. And is this the moment where you notice the beginning of the end for your relationship? No. no? Nope. Um, but that's when I, I'd say probably within a few months after that, I had just, um, I'd, I like, had already decided that I wanted to be an artist. Like, this was my new like adventure. Day of, you're yeah, like, I, was like, I am an artist. I want to be an artist, man. I think <laughs> it's just a new, it was another fork in the road for me, you know? And in the middle of my shift, I had just dropped somebody off at the hospital and I was driving and I felt my right hand going to the radio and I brought it up to my mouth and I said, Hey, quit. this is Melton. I'm bringing my truck in. And they're like, call the, call the office. What's, what's wrong? And I call and I said, nothing's wrong. I just quit. I'm bringing my truck in and I quit today. And I walked in. They're like, what are you going to do with your life? What do, you, what do you mean you quit? And I said, I'm going to be a wedding photographer. Why wedding? Because I, I long for interaction with humans. I, I, I've been closeted gay most of my life, but I've also been a closeted humanist. With my adventures and the humans, the people that I've met along my travels and my adventures, I have fallen in love with stories. But my thing is, is why not say I'm going to be a journalist or document, like I'm going to focus on documenting uh, moments in history or just in life in general because you've lived that life to where you could just document many different things. Like you could see where the angle could come from, but like you go from the complete, well, I guess it makes sense now thinking about it because it's family. You're yeah. in a family setting. It's exactly and it. So to me, for, for, for me looking at you, my natural sense for you would be like, oh, let's go into like journalism because that's where your life has always kind of been in is like these events that were just so interesting and different as opposed to like a wedding, which right. is so happy and one day out of the year for somebody, you know? Well, and have, have you ever had any previous experience in a wedding? No, uh, I never even attended a wedding. Because I'm looking at you like, are you dumb? Like, no. Because like for you to go and take a picture of trees in Alaska to then go to like, Wedding, I'm just like, well, there well hold was, up. There was a transition. I guess one one of the transitions is after I I had this epiph this this moment about having my, my art on the wall and, and printing something of my work. 
you know, we had mutual friends that that had just gotten engaged. And the, and I thought, well, hey, let me take pictures of you two together. Like, this would be my first chance to, like, take pictures of humans, you know, together. And I was terrible. I was so awkward. I didn't know how to, like, how to give clients direction or I didn't know anything about focus or aperture or anything. But I did the best that I could and they were terrible, but I still felt so, like, satisfied. I was so satisfied because I was able to... And what are you shooting with that same point and shooting you had from Alaska? I think maybe at that time I upgraded to, like... Something that actually had a detachable lens and a pop-up flash. <laughs> okay. You know, like a Nikon D40, I think was like Oh, my I had first. a Nikon D40. Yeah, that, was that was my was, first camera. That was my first camera, uh, my first camera outside of a point-and-shoot camera. And even then, I remember walking around downtown thinking that it was like, it was so like, like high-end and high-tech that people would mistake me for like a, a professional <laughs> photographer. Is that Annie Leibovitz? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I was just like... I. I felt such a gratification, like giving them photos of them that I took and, and having their immediate response saying, oh, we love them. You can't do that with like any other kind of photography. You can't hand a tree a picture that you took of it and the tree's going to react and, and somehow like confirm that you did something great for them. You know what I'm saying? But human emotion, like you get that immediate like, oh, we love this. And I felt so proud. And I, that's, that was the moment I thought, well, I want to be a photographer, but I don't want to be a, star, a starving artist for the next 30 years. What could I do that's, it, that is this, but I could still make a, a somewhat living off of it, you know, make an income off of it. And somebody said, you should think about doing weddings. Yeah. And I thought about doing weddings. Okay. And then I just started like, you know, I, I, I remember when I quit my job that day, I came home and I went to my computer and I did not sleep for the entire night. I immediately started researching like how to build a website, how to do this, how to get a, a, a how to brand yourself. And I poured myself into it, man. Like it became my life. So you instantly focus on the business part of it. And when do you focus on the technical part of it? Because at this point, you don't really have any idea of what Aperture yeah. is or ISO or I mean, I had to Google all that stuff. I had to Google how do they make stuff blurry in the background, but the person is in focus. Like <laughs> I don't, I didn't even. I thought it was like an action in Photoshop, even at that point in my life, you know. And then I got on Craigslist and and started looking for at ads of people looking for wedding photographers. You know, they're offering. I'm, my first three weddings I did, I shot for free. I answered the ads on Craigslist and I told them I'm, I don't have any. Photography experience, I just got a camera. But they, these were people that probably weren't going to have a photographer anyways. Or they only budgeted like $100 for a photographer for their wedding. So for somebody to do it for free, they're basically getting what they're paid for, right? So what do you end up buying and how do you prepare yourself for this new journey you're going to be taking as a as Well, a my wedding first three weddings I shot for free. I shot with my Nikon D40. Okay. And the first two I didn't get paid for. The third one I didn't get paid for either. But they gave me um, a $300 tip. And I remember, and I didn't even expect it, but they gave me, hey, this is a little something for you. I got in my car and opened up the envelope, and there was three $100 bills, and it took my fucking breath away, man. I was like, oh, my God. I, <laughs> I called Addison. I was like, bro, they just gave me $300. And he's like, no shit. I was like, oh, man, put your shoes on. We're going to Sizzler tonight, man. <laughs> I mean, it was such an amazing experience to get paid for for. An art. I mean, there. Are, I'm telling you, man. There are painters that are amazing painters that will paint their entire life and never sell a canvas. There were the most amazing dancers that you will. I mean, they they dance in their own studio and they do their own thing, but 
they will never get paid to dance for somebody. Very few artists really understand what that feeling is to produce a piece of art that somebody is going to pay you for. Only wedding photographers really get to experience that so early in their artistic career. Your first gig, you've made more money than I've made in over the 10 years of my photography career. That's a, that's a perfect example. Yeah. And we're going to get to gratefulness, which is the theme of my life, trust me. But I never forgot, no matter how much I get paid, I get paid a lot more than $300 now, trust me. And I've shot weddings across the world several, several times. But I never forget my first $300. And I really wish I would have kept it, man. But I've spent that shit like, <laughs> on the, immediately. You had the memory that you carried Yeah, away. I have the memory. <laughs> and so you get this $300 and you instantly go and celebrate. And what happens the next day? I, I mean, I just completely dive into building my business and becoming a better – I would go out and I would photograph and I would edit and I would – I got – I remember the first time I got Photoshop, I downloaded it. And I sat there for 30 minutes thinking, I will never learn this fucking thing. It is so – it's beyond my pay grade. And now, I mean, it's kind of like – I feel like my photography and my art is kind of like learning to read or write. I can't remember what it's what it, words look like before I knew what they said. I just know, and I don't remember the transition of learning how to read. I just remember not being able to read, and now I read books every single day. So is Google your main your main source of education at this YouTube. point? <laughs> YouTube, not, same, ditto. Yeah, YouTube. <laughs> I mean, a completely self-taught, you know, trial and error. And trust me, I have lots of errors along the way. Getting my own business certainly didn't help my the weight problem that I had because now all of a sudden I'm completely cut off from society. I'm self-employed at home all day doing less exercise than I was when I was a medic. And I just keep gaining weight. I keep gaining weight. I mean, and then one day, I mean, I wake up and I'm, you know, 460 pounds and I'm, and, and my business has grown where I'm shooting all these weddings. And I, I mean, I remember specific instances in my life where I would show up to a wedding of somebody, of a client who never met me, they booked me online, telephone calls, but they never interviewed me in person. And seeing that look of shock in their eyes, like, oh, I mean, there's a look of shock of when your wedding photographer is 450 pounds and he shows up in jeans and Converse and a shirt that he bought at Walmart or JCPenney's because those are the only options for big and tall. Do you know what I'm saying? So is this a reason why you do not put a picture on your website? Because I noticed there are no pictures of you on your website. That's... Uh, okay, this is a, a little branch in the tree. There was a huge per period of my business where as I started gaining like a following in my, my work and stuff like that, that I told people that the reason I didn't put pictures online was because I wanted it to be about the art. I wanted it to be about my work. But really, I didn't put pictures on my line because of social media. Because of social media, there are people from 20 years ago that knew me that if I posted a photo of myself at 460 pounds, they would be so shocked to see that since I had known them, I had gained so much weight. I was embarrassed, man. I'm not embarrassed now. I meant I may not have a photo of myself on my actual website, but I have a Facebook page, you know, but selfies are new for me. <laughs> We're going to get to this part, okay? Wait, so how are you, how do you market yourself? Like, where do you go from that, like, not getting any business to becoming, uh, like, having a great business by the end of time for your 400 pounds? Like, what, how do you market yourself and how do you, well, how do you get this word out about there, your photography? I mean, I, there, there were years where I, where I taught workshops and that's one of the main questions <laughs> I got. And I really, I've never really formulated a great answer except for the fact that I just, because I had no family and I had nothing else, the and I was in a terrible relationship with the person that I was in with, 
the business was the only thing I had. I had no other distractions. From the moment I w- got up to the moment I went to sleep at night, my business was my life. Branding, learning how to build a website. I mean, So were you just basically then getting word of mouth? Word like, of mouth. I mean, I went through like a, maybe a, a year's worth of time where I just booked Craigslist weddings. And then I got my first wedding published. And then I remember the first time somebody contacted me from California to shoot their wedding. I did it for free. I just did, did it for travel. They paid for my travel expenses. And even then, that was a proud moment. I thought, somebody's flying me to Los Angeles to shoot their wedding and put me in a hotel. They gave me a rental car. You know, I couldn't believe it. I, I still can't believe it. Anytime somebody buy, books me for a wedding anywhere, I mean, most of my weddings are out of state, but I still have that feeling of like, I can't believe like out of they have so many photographers closer to them and they still chose me. It's something that never goes away. I never like get tired of it. It never gets old. You know what I'm saying? I really don't know how my ba- business came to be. It just did. It just like over years I started doing really great work. Um, I had a, I learned how to brand myself. I made it Are personable. You working with other photographers to kind of help you guide no. on what you're gonna do. No, no, nothing. no collaboration. It's completely internal. I do everything myself. Everything was myself. I never worked with another photographer. I never learned a, under another photographer or anything like that. It's, it was like the seed of creativity had, had been buried deep inside me. And then later in life, I discovered it and threw some water on it. So did, is, after deciding you're going to do wedding photography, it, it does it become like, oh, I, I actually do love it and become something you're very passionate about? Or is it just like another job for you? No, I've, I've, I mean, from the minute I came back from, from, Alaska and printed that that photo of that dead salmon salmon sitting on the, the edge of the, <laughs> the the stream. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like it was, I don't know. I just discovered it, man. I'm not. I don't believe that anybody's born creative. I don't believe that I was. I've been creative my whole life. I believe that I am creative now through sheer will and fucking determination. I don't believe that it was natural to me. I don't believe that I was prone to be more artistic later in life. I believe that I discovered something and I fucking willed that shit into existence out of perseverance and trial and error. So when it honestly frustrates me when people say, I mean, you've probably been creative your whole life. I want to say, no, I haven't. I've been surviving my whole life. (laughs) I just now came alive. You know what I'm saying? But even then, that's not even the best part of my story. You know, I I have this business. I. Uh, is it does it flourish or do you have like bumps around uh, along the way? Of course, the... I had bumps along the way. I had the worst thing that you could possibly imagine happen to a photographer happen to me, and that's a hard drive crash. I was I was shooting a slew of weddings, and I had a, at the time I wasn't shooting film. I shoot film now, but at the time I was I was shooting digitally. Is that why you shoot film now? It's one of very many reasons, but I I was shooting like two or three weddings across the country, but I didn't have enough digital cards to be able to save them until I got back to Texas. So I backed them up on an external hard drive. And you only had one backup? I only had one hard drive that I took with me on the road. Okay. And I would format my cards for the next wedding, and then I would back those up on a hard drive, and I'd format my cards and shoot the next wedding, that kind of thing. I never really had a, a computer or, I mean, before my photography business. And so I didn't... Uh, the. And at this point, like, how old are you now? Because you're, like, what, in your mid-30s? Mid-30s, yes, okay. exactly. I come back in from this, from shooting these two or three, probably three weddings, and I plug it in, and and my hard drive is dead, and so I lose three weddings 
without them ever having seen a single image of it. The f the fact that I survived, that I continued on to be a do you consider going back into the army at this point again? <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I it was it was a terrible terrible time of life and I and I could t I, I could talk about that part of my life all day but I really want to get to the best part of really why I'm here but that is the hard drive what I call the hard drive the crash of 2011 is like it was a defining moment of like it was a make or break am I really set out to be this like it was such a terrible having to and not only that but i i had no business experience so full disclosure i was fucking terrible man i was terrible <coughs> to my clients i've always been so passionate about my the art but i've but the one thing that i've always struggled with is being a good business person mm -hmm. because i because of my life i've just never had any kind of like what's the word i'm looking for like I don't have any good business sense. Like I never understood how to work with clients or that, or how to, when my hard drive crashed, I kind of just went into hiding. Like I stopped answering emails. That's like your natural instinct is to like kind of hide and run. That's yes. where you go is you avoid the actual yes. problem. That's your, it just comes naturally to you. Yes. And then like, it just, it just snowballed into this like a year, years. I mean, this, this thing, this hard drive, this crash of 2011 followed me around for years. Like, there are a lot of little mini stories in there that we could talk about that really affected like like me in the in the fit, in the sense that even in that period I just turned to food. I would get I just got bigger and bigger and bigger, man. And so here we go. We're, here we are. Here we are. I mean, this is like I saw those stories, by the way. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, sure. You, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're there. Of course they yeah. are. And there was a period of my life where I was really embarrassed about that time. But now, now that we're about to get to this part of my story, I I don't wear it as a badge of honor, but I definitely I'm not afraid of it anymore. Yeah. Hey, you live and you learn. I and not only that, but the life that I lived, I just wasn't equipped to come into a business without any knowledge. I didn't know to back up a hard drive. I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know. I didn't. Those things didn't happen because out of spite or because I was irresponsible. They're just done out of the fact that I just wasn't knowledgeable. Yeah, you just didn't have the experience. And right. I didn't have the experience and I wasn't prepared for a hard drive crash. Trust me, even in my the people that I the circles that I run with, I know many people who've had experienced the exact same thing that I had experienced, that they've had hard drive crashes and that they've lost weddings and they've been put through the ringer online and stuff like that. And so, like, I am sorry that that happened, and I feel forever remorseful for those clients, but I absolutely stick by the fact that it it's just technology. People have computers crash all the time, you know? And this was before the day when you could back up online. This yeah. was before online digital storage. And if you're not in the industry, it's very hard to, like, see that and be, like, understanding because they're like, well, you just you just take pictures and you give them to me because they don't they don't know the whole process behind it. Yes. And so other other fellow photographers, we understand it and we feel for you. But for someone who's paying, who's paid all this money, like they don't see that. They don't honestly, I don't think they care. Yeah. It's just like, where are my pictures? And then and it sucks that like it's like whenever you're a server, like a per person who's never served tables, they're going to treat servers like shit because they've never experienced it. But whenever you work as a server, it changes your mentality completely and you no longer disrespect someone who's working in the industry. Yes. And like, I think there's also a lack of understanding. Like when my, when I came back and I plugged that hard drive in and it wasn't working, I never dreamed what my life would become. I literally just took it to the Best Buy and said, hey, can you take the images off here and put them on this hard drive? Like I was still so like, 
a knowledgeable of what, what was the storm that was about to be brewing <laughs> in my life. I, I didn't think it was a big deal at all. I never even considered that I would that those images would be good. And then when when it started dawning on me over like weeks of like of understanding that they were gone, you know, I would get online and I would find websites of people of, of companies that recovered stuff from hard drives that had been like at the bottom of the river for a month or had been ran over by a semi. And I thought, well, or been set on fire. And I thought mine was in a velvet case. It was padded. <laughs> I, I never once dropped it. I never once like mishandled it. Surely. And I paid thousands of dollars and nothing was recovered. Nothing was, rec nothing important was recovered from those hard drives. And it was just, it's just the way that it was. My mistake is not that the hard drive crashed. My mistake is what I did after that. Mm -hmm. The way that I treated my clients and the way that I ran from the situation is my fault, 100%. So when do you come back from that? When do you kind of get over that situation? It and takes say, you years, know man. It takes years. Honestly, there was huge periods of my life. Where Are you I, still photographing weddings? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. I mean, it's it's... I mean, we, you and I know each other from Chili's, but we're, we're going to get to why I work at Chili's here in a little bit. But, you know, this is where this is where the most important part of the story is. Because I went through the hard drive crash and I still started was shooting weddings because my business survived because if you're getting married and you're looking for a wedding photographer and somebody refers me or they see my name and they go to my website, very few people are going to go Google bad reviews by ex photographer. It has people, they're going to respond to your website. They're going to determine whether they like your work. And at that point I had learned so many lessons. I was, I was communicating better with clients. I was, I was learned so many lessons. My business survived and I did get over it. Um, but this is the best part of the story. Do you, uh, you have a question before we get to this? Cause no, it was just about your way at this point. Are you still growing or have you kind of like, is it, you're on a, a certain weight and you're sticking at it. Let's we'll revisit that question after this because okay. it's not a it's not a yes or no question. There's uh, there's a hundred shades of gray in between that. Okay? okay. This is the best part. So if you're listening, perk up, turn it up. This is the best part of the story. This is where my life changed. There I was sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair, 450 pounds. Ten years into a miserable relationship, a sexless relationship. I mean, I had all this adventure in my life, and I was just fucking sad, man. I was sad on the inside. I was ashamed of being so grossly obese. I was embarrassed to have to go to JCPenney's to the big and tall section to find pants and shirts big enough for me to wear. I mean, I was tired of like, I was shooting a lot of destination weddings, but I was terrified about being on a plane because nobody would want to sit next to me. I remember specifically a moment where I was sitting on the plane, there was an empty seat next to me, and then there was one other empty seat a couple aisles up, and a couple got on. They were the last people on the plane, and they were looking at their seats. They looked at the one empty seat, and then they looked at the seat next to me, and you saw their eyes get big, and you saw them turn to each other and basically visually play paper, scissors, rock to see who would have to sit next to me. And the guy said, you know, I'll, sit, I'll sit next to him. That feeling of like just I was humiliated, man. And there was one other time on a plane where a gentleman had sat next to me on the plane and he was talking on his phone. He's like, I mean, not even trying to hide it. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm on the plane. But remember that thing that you complained about last time you were on a flight when you had to sit next to somebody? That's me right now, but like 10 times worse. I mean, not even trying to hide it. I was, I mean, 
And of course, I pretend I'm asleep to save space at all, you know? And I mean, have you experienced that within that 10-year period? To all, where you yes, like, where you, all over, man. Always... I just, I always, when when you reach such a a, a, a a big point in your life when you're such a, a size and you and you show up to a wedding for people that, you just, I just look like a slob, man. I was like so unhealthy and sweaty. It was terrible, man. Not only that, but that combined with the fact that I was in an unhappy relationship and I was feeling very lonely and I struggled with Christianity and homosexuality my entire life and, and religion. And then gays, being fat in the gay world is, a, is another beast in itself, I imagine. I I don't know. I've, I, Even to this point in my life, I don't have a lot of experience in the gay community. Oh, okay. So you're still not like in the community. You've always I'm not even been, now like... today. I really don't consider like I don't go to like the gay bars and I'm, I don't like socialize oh. online and stuff like that. Like I don't, I mean, I don't have, like have any gay friends or anything like that. So... I don't really consider myself like conscious of like what is going on in the gay, I guess, gay world or anything like that. So, but yes. I think in general society, in general, I mean, deems people that are obese as gross. I'm I I don't I'm not gonna say that everybody thinks that, but I would say that I would even consider that. I mean, I consider that about myself. I mean, I went years, man, getting out of the shower, refusing to look in the mirror. If I if I lived by myself, I would have taken the mirrors out of my apartment. I mean, never taking a selfie. I mean, going through an entire relationship over a decade with somebody and never taking a selfie with them. Like, you really miss out on a huge part of a relationship, you know? And so there I was, sitting in my rocking chair, and it was midnight on June 15th, 2015. And I looked up. It was a clear night sky. And I asked myself the most important question. Do you know what time it was? It was right around midnight. It was close. It was late at night. The house was asleep. The lights were out. I was sitting out there by myself. I had just smoked a really big joint, and I was stoned (laughs) off my ass. And I looked up at the night sky, and I asked myself the most important question I've ever asked myself. If the story of Adam and Eve is not true, then where did humans really come from? I know it seems so simplistic, but when you were raised your entire life to believe that man came from dirt and woman came from his rib, then you never even consider, like, where did humans really come from? How did we get here? So where did we come from? what was it that got you to that question at that point? You're sitting in a rocket chair, you're your highest It was weed. Button. Okay, I was like, wait, It but, was weed and it was a clear sky. Because I was wondering, what, what, was there something that made you reconsider no, your religion up until that point? it was absolutely random. Uh-huh. It was completely, it was just me stoned. You know, I mean, I don't know if you smoke weed or water, but I'm at ISIS. Up until recently, I would smoke from the moment I would wake up to the moment I'd go to sleep. I would, I would, I was a functioning pothead. I smoked <laughs> all day, every day, and I was just stoned, and I was just cons- just considering the stars. I was considering. Man, did you um, have YouTube teach you how to roll a joint? Um, no, I'm not saying that it was a, a nice fat joint or tightly <laughs> rolled or anything. I'm just saying that it was a joint. Okay. okay. The point is that I was stoned. Okay. And you asked this question. I asked this question. Uh-huh. And I thought, wait a second, where did humans come from? And so then I Googled, like, you know, I asked, I went to the Google in my phone and I said, you know, how did humans get to planet Earth or something along those lines? And it's, I don't under, I don't know what, what drew me down that road, but I became obsessed 
with learning about evolution and how stars are formed and how planets are made and, and space and the cosmos. And my really looking back, I was trying to make sense of my own existence. How did not just how did I humans get to Earth, but how did I end up here at 460 pounds in this rocking chair in an unhealthy relationship, miserable, crying my eyes out? I don't know what it was, but I tell you, man, it was like a I swear to you, it was like the universe fucking kissed me on my mouth. And I got up out of my rocking chair that night and I took a walk and the little town that I lived in it had a lake and around that lake, it was 3.9 miles around this walking trail. And I just walked around the block and then I walked around another block and I just kept walking and I walked and I walked around the lake and it took me like four hours and I came <laughs> back and I was drenched in sweat. And I just had this moment where I thought, I started thinking about what does it mean to like, like I spent my whole life worrying about what happens to me after I died that I never once my entire existence considered that what were the possibilities of me not coming into existence to begin with? Like what did it take for me to, to be born? And I started researching and learning. And did you know that the average male orgasm has 250 million sperm in it, man? And According to my birth certificate, my dad was in his late 40s when I was born, and I was his only son. And according to statistics, if the average guy starts jerking off when he's 11, I think how many orgasms, how much sperm came into existence that never found an egg? And if you remove God from saying, you, be born, if you remove the idea that there's something out there in control, and you're still the fastest swimmer, in that one orgasm, and nothing willed you into existence, it is a fucking cosmic miracle, man. And the fact that I have Native American in me, we all know how that turned out for those guys. The fact that I ever got, my lineage wasn't snuffed out long before my, even my own dad was born. It's a real miracle, man. Understanding that, I, that, that, that vision and that epiphany of, of being the fastest swimmer in that moment brought a meaning to my life that, that no Jesus, that no church, that no song or smoke machine or story of the Bible ever came close to giving me, man. And, I, and I, when I took that walk that night, I said, I will never, it is impossible, I will never be able to run this, this loop. I will never be able to run it. But when I started understanding the importance of what it means to come into exist, I, I wanted to tell somebody about it. I had to be able to tell somebody this, this epiphany that I had that night. I, I told everybody. I mean, I, I was, after that epiphany that night, I was laying in bed, um, and the, I literally could not sleep. And the minute Addison woke up the next morning, I was like, are you awake? I have to tell you what happened last night. I was sitting in the rocking chair, and I started asking myself these questions, and it scared the fuck out of me, man. Like, how close I came to not existing scared the living shit out of me. And it brought such a gratefulness to my life that I can't, and I wanted to like put it in a parable. I wanted to, to relate to people what it meant. And this is what this tattoo on my forearm is. It's a glass box and a red marble. And this is the, this is what I came, this is the, the epiphany that, that came to me. You ready for this? Yeah. Imagine if you will, bro, a glass box and you drill a hole in the top of it. And in all of existence, there's only one small red marble that fits inside that box. And then you take that box 
and you shrink it down to the size of a small ring box. And then you stick it in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And that's over 200 miles long, two miles wide and over a mile and a half deep. And then on top of that box, you fill it with an uncountable, an unimaginable number of slightly larger black marbles that can never fit inside that hole, inside that glass box. And then on the top of that, you put that one red marble. And every one million years or so, you come along and you give the Grand Canyon a shake. And I'm telling you, man, against all odds, that motherfucker winds and weaves and finds its way whole and drops through the hole in that box. And to me, that is what it means to exist. I don't care what happens to me after I die, but I know that in that moment, I came so close to not ever existing that I had decided that I will exist as long as possible. And I will go into the dark night, but I will go kicking and screaming. I will not go quietly, and I will not go silently. I will fight and I will live as long as possible because I believe that when I'm dead, it's fucking over. There is no pearly gates. There's no people waiting in heaven for me. It's just over. The world has been full of life and it has experienced mass extinctions five times since the beginning of our planet. The one that people talk about, I mean, crashing into the Gulf of Mexico, that was just the last one. That's just the most popular. But the dinosaurs ruled the planet for 300 million years and mammals never evolved into humans. It literally took a rock six kilometers wide crashing into an ocean to give mammals a chance. And not only that, but it took millions of years for us to come into existence. We are such an amazing species. And for people to go around saying that we came out of dirt, out of nothing over a day is ridiculous. And it robs you of the miracle that you, the, it's not just me that almost didn't exist, but it's humans almost didn't exist. If that thing had not crashed into our planet, we would still be a planet of dinosaurs. And I would not be telling you the story. And I just decided that in that moment that I was going to celebrate my existence. And I got up and I decided I was going to change my fucking life. And you bet your ass I did, man. I meant about a year, I, I started running and I made chicken and carrots and I cut cold, cold turkey, man. I decided I was going to change my life. And then about a year later, I was sitting on the same rocking chair on the same front porch reading a National Geographic's 100 Things to Do Before You Die. And on page three, there was one small paragraph that said, go to adult space camp. And I thought, what is this? Can I really do it? I mean, I'd lost maybe 80 pounds at that point, but there was I was still considerably over the weight limit to be able to go to space camp because there was all these things that you had to do physically that I would not have been able to do. Space camp was about nine months away, and I still, I paid for it, and I signed up for it, and I dedicated myself, and I ran every day, and I ate chicken and carrots every day. And within that year, I'd lost almost 150 pounds. And so then I go get on a plane all by myself to go on this adventure, to go to space camp. After I had this epiphany about space and the cosmos and falling in love with NASA and what it means to be a human being and, and evolution, my favorite topic of all time. And I go to space camp and I sleep in bunk beds and I like make friends with other people who are into space and it's a week long, right? And I get to tell my story to all these people about this epiphany, about the red marble and the glass box. And on the last day, there's graduation, right? And um, throughout the week, there was a competition for the team that had that designed their own patch. They would win. Like it was like the big 
competition. There was like 400 people at this camp, right? And we all split up into teams of like 12 and 13 people. And our team, like I had my laptop, and by this time I'm like a blossoming artist. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I got my computer. I got Photoshop. Let's do something. I And I was kind of like the the guy for designing my team's patch. And so on graduation day, you know, when when the competition comes up and the, the director is about to denounce the team that wins that won the the patch competition, all everybody's just so excited, right? And so they uh the now the the director announces that our team won. And it was like, oh my, the the patch that I designed for my team won. And and like the guys, all the guys like stood up and they're high five. I mean, this is like the most amazing day of my life. Man, they're high five and they're like, Clayton, you go get it. Go down there and get the award. So I run down in there and the whole audience is clapping and and I get that certificate. And I come back and I'm sitting down and I'm I mean, I'm ear to ear smiling, man. It's like the I mean, think about all the work that I put in, all the miles that I ran to be sitting there in that auditorium at Space Camp with my newfound family and friends. And I'm on cloud nine. And I'm not really listening, but the director starts talking. And she's like, and now there's one final award. It's called the Right Stuff Award, and it goes to one cadet that is that has shown these qualities, X, 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 and that award goes to Clayton Austin. And it literally, I mean, I it was like I had jumped into a, a cold pool of ice water. It took the breath out of me, man. <gasps> and my whole team looked at me and they're like, Clayton, Clayton. And I ran down there and my team is chanting my name and people are standing on their feet clapping. And I go down there and the, and, she takes that metal and puts it around my neck, and somebody snapped a photo of me in my flight suit, hands in the air, right at space camp, as she's putting this metal around my neck. And I tell you, man, I don't care if I have if I get married or have kids or no matter the greatest things that I do in my life, I will tell you for certain that her putting that metal around my neck was the very best day of my existence. It's the best day of my life, man. It's the you talk about after the journey that I had been on and feeling, being such lost my entire life to be standing there in front of all these people and having somebody put a medal around my, a $5 medal, by the way. <laughs> I mean, even to this day, I have that thing like encased in a piece of glass on a metal hand and it's just hanging in my room and I remind myself every day that that is the best day of my life and that I will always look at that as the moment that no matter what happens to me, I will be so proud that I achieved the unachievable man. I will do great things in my, I will shoot beautiful weddings around the world, but I will never have met somebody that's lost 260 pounds in one space camp. <laughs> but fucking AI did. I did that. And so now I'm in, my whole message, everything, everything about me is about being grounded and grateful. Like I just want to live a life of gratefulness. I want to, to tell people that the gift is that you ever got to exist at all. I mean, I, ch I charge a lot of money for my weddings now, and I'm a real badass, man. I, I think that I really believe that I'm one of the best wedding photographers in the world. I believe that I put out some really fucking amazing work, man. I'm passionate about it, and I, my, my style is super signature to me. I mean, I feel like in terms of that, I'm one of the most successful wedding photographers on the planet. But I serve tables at Chili's with my best friend because because eight years ago, I was shooting a wedding in Barcelona, and I was there for a week. I was in Barcelona shooting a wedding in Barcelona, Spain. And the only time I left my hotel room 
was to shoot the wedding and to go to the restaurant below me and get food as takeout and take it back to my room because I was so terrified of being in public. And one day I went down there to get my food, to go food, to take it back up to my hotel room. And I noticed a group of servers in the corner just laughing and like hanging out. It was slow. And I just was so envious of their life. Here I was shooting a wedding in Spain and I was envious of these 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 servers that were just like normal people. Like they were, they were, nobody was staring at them. They were just hanging out by themselves. And I remember thinking, God, I would give, I would trade all of this just to be normal again, just to be like, to not be hiding out in my room, to not be hiding, to be able to be on a plane and, and people don't have to paper, scissors, rock to see who has to sit next to me, you know? And so, now I, I mean, I lo- I'm so grateful for my life because I mean, last week I booked a wedding in Venice, Italy, and the next day I couldn't wait to go work to, ta- to wait tables at Chili's. Like I'm so proud of my life. When people, like, th- when I when I do my workshops or or I teach my workshop classes, I am so proud that I serve tables at Chili's, man. Because no matter what I do in my photography business, I will always relate to the fact that if on a good day at Chili's I'll make a hundred dollars. On the very best day, I'll make $100, and I'll make $7,000 for a wedding. Do you know what I'm saying? But yet, I'm surrounded by people in the wedding photography business who, who completely forget that. They forget that what it was like, and they become so entitled. They feel so entitled. They say, oh, I won't get out of bed for less than $4,000. Or you want me to stay an extra hour? That's going to be $500, or I'm leaving early. They nickel and dime it because they forget that on a good day at Chili's, you'll make $100. Do you know what I mean? I, for the rest of my life, no matter what I do and how successful my wedding photography business is, I will always have a humble job. I will always have a job that will constantly remind me to be grateful, to be appreciative. And I'm grateful that I can serve tables at Chili's and, and nobody's judging me. Nobody says, look at that fat ass. Look at him all sweaty and gross. I'm just a, just one of the people. I'm just a server at Chili's. And then the following weekend, I'm the world's best wedding photographer shooting a wedding in Russia or Australia or any other number of the places I've shot weddings at. I meant two years ago, I was shooting a wedding at the Salt Lake Temple, and I met somebody while I was there who has a very similar life to mine, but in terms of the LDS church who went through a whole coming out process. And his name is Troy. He's probably going to listen to this. And I fucking love him, man. I love him more than tacos. I'm in love with him. And for the first time in my life, I'm 42 and I'm in a healthy relationship. I, you know, it's the long distance thing. People think, oh, it's because he still lives in Salt Lake City. He has three daughters and he's going to be there for for a while. Um, But we met right after, you know, I broke up with Addison. I mean, I... I went to Washington, D.C. to go to the Humans Origins exhibit at the Smithsonian for a week. And I, that was part of my journey was to go and, and, and see Lucy, the oldest at the time, what we thought was the oldest remains, you know. And, and I came back and when I, when I walked into the house I just, uh, and I came home, I just knew that it was over. And for the first time I had courage to say that I was going to change my life. And that included changing him. And so I sat him down. And I was like, I love you, but we don't love each other the way that we're supposed to. And I have the strength now to go off. I'm not afraid to be alone anymore. I want to, I've lost all this weight. I'm, I want to go out and have a bunch of sex. 
You know, I want to go out and date. I want to go out and hold somebody's hand that I want to hold hands with. And I don't want to stay with you anymore because we're so afraid that we're going to fight over the spoons or that we're going to fight over the curtains. I said, you can have everything. You can have everything in the house. I'll start over. It's me. I'll start over. And I did. I, I started over. And, and I, I can't imagine. And that now he's often, he's in a healthy relationship. And now I'm in a healthy relationship. And I just feel sad for people that stay together for the wrong reasons. It's a strange thing to be 42 and for the first time in your life be in a healthy relationship, a healthy sexual relationship, having morning sex for the first time in my life. You know what I'm saying? Making out, like go parking and going on dates and holding hands in public. These are all things that I'm just now experiencing because of my journey. And so here I am. That's how we come to you. Met you at so, Chili's. Yeah. And so where do you meet this wonderful man at? Like, is it because you said I, I lost track of where you said you'd met him. I don't think he, you said he was, that. He was he was he lives in Salt Lake City and that's where I was shooting a wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and I met him go, online. Oh online. Online. Okay. Gay.com? No, uh actually I can't remember what it was. I don't really want to say what's because <laughs> let's just say can we say we met online because I'm pretty yeah. sure his daughter's gonna listen to yeah, this yeah, as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh so do you so like you meet online and, and do you know instantly that like this is something someone special? Um I knew instantly that there was a connection because we we talked for 24 hours nonstop online before we actually met for our first date. Or I mean, we went on our date while I was like in Salt Lake City, there shooting for this wedding. You know, we didn't have for the record, we didn't have sex that night, <laughs> but we were definitely intimate. You know, like we definitely there was a connection. And like when he when the date was over and Troy drove away, like I knew that I would see him again. He felt differently because he knew I was coming back to Texas and he could never believe that we'd ever maybe stay in contact or whatever, but we did. Um, and the long distance thing isn't for everybody, but for somebody like me who went through this ginormous change and had been in an unhealthy relationship for almost 12 years, I needed to spend time by myself. I needed time to, to, to date and I needed time to like exercise and, and read and go on my adventures. And I wanted to be alone for a little bit because for the first of my life, I discovered something very important that being alone is not the same as being lonely. They're not the same. I, I was very few, I mean, I was alone in my life, a lot of my, a lot of my existence, but almost all of it, I was lonely. And then after my epiphany happened, I broke that. And I, I'm not afraid of being alone. Even now, as much as I love Troy, I'm not afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of being lonely. And right now, for the first time in my life, I am not lonely. And so how do you guys decide that it's going to be a long-distance relationship? What happens? Like, when does it say, hey, you're my boyfriend and we're going to be together? And I mean, we, it's, it's been a process for both of us. I meant, we both come from relationships. I mean, he was married to a woman for 11 years, you know, and had a terrible sex life for obvious reasons because <laughs> he's been gay his whole life. But, I mean, he grew up in the Mormon church, which is just a different version of Christianity, I mean, they're, they're both very gay unfriendly. Um, fortunately slash unfortunately for Troy, the plumbing worked just enough for him to produce kids in a marriage. But it wouldn't have worked that way for me. And he, of course he loves his daughters and would never take back any of those years just like I would never take back any of my years with Addison. You took back my years with Addison, you would take back the red marble in the glass box and that's the price that I'd gladly pay for, what, for the epiphany that I've had and the person that I am today. So I say all that because we both come from relationships that make us insecure, you know, that we, 
I mean, I feel like we're both learning how to be in a healthy relationship for the first time, and we're doing it together. That's beautiful. It's it's really it's easier for me than I think it is for him. Um, but for me, I I rejoice in the long distance relationship because every single time that we meet, it's fucking amazing, man. Like we go on these, we meet up randomly, like in New Mexico or whatever, for a long weekend, and it's and it's like. We go on these amazing dates and we go on these hikes and we have lots of sex and we like talk and hang out and then we cry when we separate and we get to do that over and over and over. Are you worried that if you do come back to like together and it's it'll become like your, your past relationships that it would be something that you wouldn't find joy in anymore? No, um, I don't. I don't feel like anything that I, the life that I lived is going to affect me from. After what I call my marble dropping. Anybody that knows me in my life, when I say my marble drop, they know exactly <laughs> what I mean. Like, I, I refer to it all, all day, every day. Well, that happened before my marble dropped. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I feel like I'm as close to what you would meet, somebody who literally has had a complete life. I mean, my eyes have been opened. The way that I think about the world and relationships is different than two years ago. Everything is different. And so I don't, I'm not afraid of bringing that kind of stuff from the past. I'm only... I, I actually I don't feel afraid about anything. I just I just accept that there's going to be a learning curve. Uh, is that like the end goal is to come together at some point? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, like my I'm going to be moving up there next year for sure. Um, but I'm not ready to move in with him. One, he lives in the house that he was born and raised in, and I don't want to move into somebody else's memories. Like when I broke up with Addison, I went and got all new furniture, and I and I'm at. I love my space. I love I love my apartment. I love having Justin, his brother, my best friend, as my roommate. Like, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. And even when I move up there, I want to move into my own apartment because I want us to be able to, like, still date. I want him to be able to stay at my house sometimes and me stay at his house sometimes. And I'm not ready to merge our lives completely together, and I don't see the need for it. I, last time I rushed into that, I woke up 12 years later with somebody <laughs> I didn't feel that way towards you know what i'm saying so what is the future for clay austin clayton austin um i don't know what the future is but i can say i will tell you what if i could do anything in this world if i could do have any job i would want to become a middle school science teacher in salt lake city to mormon kids wow i wanted to <laughs> i would i feel like i would be the best middle school science teacher that has ever existed because I am so passionate about space, man. I'm so passionate about our planet and being a human. I have homo on left tattooed on my left foot and I have sapien tattooed on my right <laughs> foot. I am, I am a humanist, man. I, I am overjoyed to be a part of the human species. And, how, and evolution is the greatest story ever told. How, that, how humans came to sitting here in this studio with microphones and a cello, it's like... Only humans have done that, and millions and millions of species have lived on this planet and never even come close. We're about to send humans to another planet. You know what I'm saying? We have the Voyager probes have officially left the solar system. We've walked on the moon, and I get to live at a time where, we, where I get to see this, and we don't have to... I am very anti-religious. When people look, look at an atheist as somebody who is like, oh, an atheist just doesn't believe in anything, do I look like somebody? Do I sound like somebody that has no passion, that is... Has has no meaning for life. I am so full of meaning. I am, 
I appreciate living more than any Christian that I've ever met in my entire life or more than any religious person I've ever met. And, I, and I'm so happy to be at a time where, where atheism is somewhat synonymous with science now, not with godlessness. I am godless, but not in the way that people want to say it in a negative way. And so do you think, um, like, moving forward, like, is the photography going to follow? Are you going to take that with you at some point? Is that going to stop? And then you actually try to become a teacher? I don't know. The thing is, like, I, I, I'm still an artist. Like, I love my photography. I love traveling. I love everything that I do about that. I will openly admit that it's taken a back seat since my marble job because I want to spend all my days now reading science books. It's my passion. Like reading about evolution or reading about space or SpaceX or NASA. These are like, it's more than a hobby. It's like a passion of mine. But my business has become like kind of a well-oiled machine and I still get things published and people still reach out to me and book me and, and I'll still shoot weddings as long as I can. I don't need to shoot as much as I used to because I've significantly downgraded my life in terms of debt and bills and all that stuff so that technically my job is... Chili's would can, can totally support me. Now, so uh, just lay this out for me so that I can just your education. You ended up dropping out, and then you got. Did you ever get your diploma? I got it. I got. I got my GED while I was in jail. Oh, okay, cool. So you got your GED, and then you got some training for the army. Yeah. And then, so is the plan now to go back to college to like pursue some of these passions? I mean, I would have to go back to college, become a middle school teacher, a middle school science teacher, but. Right now, I, I'm really not even thinking. I, it's hard for me to think that far into the future, man. Like right now, I'm I'm thinking about like, I mean, Troy and I love road tripping together. Like right now, I'm on a, on a mission to visit the national every national all sixty national parks. You know, like I love being outdoors and hiking and and running is a huge passion of mine. Like I run every single day. You know, I run six miles every day, and it's like it's a place that I clear my mind and I love putting on my jams and listening and um, I. Another passion of mine is to I'm building a website right now called thereiwas.com that's going to cater specifically to my life experience and talking about the things that are separate from like the wedding industry. I want to talk about the red marble and the glass box. I want to talk about evolution. I mean, I do a lot of personal photography projects now that are wedding inspired and wedding related, but also merge with my love for science, you know, like. I just did a, a wedding-inspired shoot out in the Valley of Fire that outside of Las Vegas that looks like it's on Mars, you know? So it's it's like a wedding on Mars. It's kind of like this <laughs> style shoot that I just got through doing that's been, that took up like a year of my life. Um, I, it's hard for me to see talk about the future because I'm just so fucking happy right now. No, yeah, that, that's okay. It's okay not to... People look at the future because they they're, I feel like they're they look towards maybe an upgrade to their life. And I don't see that anymore. Like I am the happiest I've ever been, man. Nice. I am the healthiest. I mean, I'm in a healthy relationship. I, I, I mean, Justin is my family. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, I would choose him over my real brother any day. I, I mean, I have an amazing apartment with the, with the porch that overlooks the swimming pool. There's nothing that I want. I want for nothing in my life right now, man. I just this morning, I, I, Got an inquiry. I've been talking with a potential client to book her amazing wedding in upstate New York. And at the same time, I can't wait to go to work at Chili's tomorrow. It's like, I, I, I want for nothing. I want nothing to change. And if it changes, then, then, then it changes. So I know you say you're an atheist, but do you kind of, in your own head, do you kind of go back and, sit and, and like talk to your grandparents and say, hey, I, like no. they, nothing. It's no. just like, okay. No. 
Nope. I, I mean, there is, for me, there is absolutely nothing after you die. And there's nothing before you die. Okay. Because I feel like it, 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 for even as me, even if I were to become like an atheist, I feel like I would still probably have that habit of like talking to like my brother or my grandma or my grandpa. Like I don't feel that way. I, when, anytime I, I get close to feeling like being sentimental, I guess, in that sense, um, I, I don't know how to put it. I, when I talk about how it takes you know, 8.2 seconds for a photon to leave the sun and hit Earth, that's what gets me choked up now, <laughs> honestly. You know, like when I talk about space or the distance between stars and whether there's life on other planets, that's the stuff that I get sentimental and that I get emotional about. So what do you want with your remains? What do you want them to be done with? It's funny you should ask that because if you were to ask Troy or Justin, they would both give you the exact same answer, which is when I die, I want 100% of my body that can be donated to science, donated to science, and I want you to burn the rest and spread the ashes over the Grand Canyon. I would have thought like you would have shot into space. No, no, man. Like last year, I did a, a big road trip that I called um, Run Space Love. And it was almost three weeks, of, like 8,000 miles, where I went across the Southwest and visited observatories and smoked weed the entire time <laughs> and looked through huge telescopes. And I took my dog, Maddie, who's, we haven't even talked about dogs, but dogs is, are a very big part of my life. And my dog, Maddie, she's a silver lab. She's eight now, but she is my best friend. Like she, I mean, before I had her, I had a white lab. Her name was Cerveza. <laughs> and she's the only dog I ever had. And I had her for 14 years. And then she died of cancer. And she's the first dog that I ever had to bury. And it, it changed me. It, this happened right about the time that my marble had dropped and I was getting a real grasp of what it means to exist and what it means to die. I was grappling with all of those feelings and emotions and burying my dog down by the river that day. It just, it really changed something in me. And so when I did this road trip, I took Maddie with me, my dog with me, and I had this experience with her. And one, one thing that I will never forget, man, is... First of all, walking up to the Grand Canyon for the first time, after having told my story, using the Grand Canyon as an example of the red marble glass box, but actually seeing it for the first time, seeing how big it was. I mean, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I mean, I, I walked up to the edge of it, and it took my fucking breath away. And the first thing I thought was, how many marbles? No matter how many times I tell that story, until you stand there at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you try to imagine that gigantic chasm full of, of black marbles, it really humbles you, man. And that it took millions of years. And I sat there with my feet dangling over it and Maddie laying there with her head on my lap watching the sunset of the Grand Canyon. I thought this, I mean, I can, it was just an amazing moment in my life. And I know that when Maddie dies, I'll I'll take that that was both of our best moments. I'll take her back there and I'll bury her next to the Grand Canyon. And then I'll get another dog. Dogs and humans have a very unique relationship. Don't we don't get started on other things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean those that I mean that's two hours worth of Cliff's notes, man. There are plenty of things in there that I yeah. didn't even touch on, you know? But my goal now, I don't care if I serve tables or if I'm a janitor or a school or work at Denny's on the midnight shift. The only thing that I live for now is telling the story of the red marble and the glass box to other humans.
That is what I live for. That is one of the reasons why I work at Chili's. That is why when I work at Chili's and I put a plate down on the table, I use my left hand so that people could say, hey, what's that tattoo? What's that thing? That's why I carry a picture of me of 460 pounds around in my little notebook. So how do you, in a nutshell, tell that story? Because you told that story in two and a half, two hours and 38 minutes and now. Like, how do you do that within like a, like a little 45 minute gap that you have when someone's coming into a restaurant? I, honestly, I don't, uh, I've never, and I would never tell the, the actual story of the red marble in the glass box because it, it, takes, it takes a special moment. Like, you, you, I don't tell it in passing. It's not like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's such a personal, intimate story. But yeah. I do tell them what I say is, this represents an epiphany that I had in my life three years ago when I weighed 460 pounds. And it, it was a moment that I fell in love with the cosmos and stars being born and how planets are made. And then I pull out my picture and say, it changed my life. And then I went to adult space camp. And that's why I have my NASA iron-on stickers on my apron. That's why I wear my space pins so that people can ask me. So I don't tell them the story about the red marble in the glass box, but I do tell them about how space changed my life. Nice. It gave me a purpose for living. For, for sure, man. Well, that was a roller coaster, uh, and hopefully, you, hopefully we can. Good luck editing that. Girl, right? Uh, I do little slight edits. I honestly like you didn't. You don't say um a lot, and I usually had to tend to take like ums out. Uh, you were wonderful, and I went through some emotions. You went through some emotions, and that was a beautiful story. Thank you. Um, and hopefully we can come back one day and tell all the other bits we didn't talk about. Yes. Uh, but I, I feel like this is a good spot to edit. Yes. Do you th yeah, I think. Yes. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you. And I look forward to working with you. Yes, me too. I yeah. can't wait to see you at Chili's. Yeah, like <laughs> Chili's and Creatively, or even just following your work. Yeah. I feel like uh, it, it, you're such a beautiful, you have such a beautiful soul. I know you're not religious, but that's just how, the only way I can communicate, and I think you would understand what I mean by soul. Like, you're yeah. just like a beautiful being in this yeah. world. And um, thank you so much for talking with me. Can um, I give a little shout out to my website? <laughs> I was getting there. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, because my website is loveisabird.com uh -huh. because my grandfather told me one of the most memorable conversations I had with him when I was a kid, sitting in a rocking chair of all things, was he had told me that love is a bird. Hold it tightly, it dies. Hold it slightly, it flies. And so when I started my business, for some reason, that was the first thing that came to my mind. It was like I, I had to instill my grandparents really the best humans that I can remember in my life into that. And so love is a bird. Hold it tightly, it dies. Hold it slightly, it flies. So, and yeah. so love is a bird. But you also have one that's a little bit more simple, more mobile friendly. That one's called something the else. The sparrow and the crow. So yeah. um, love is a bird is what I consider my portfolio. It's my website. The sparrow and the crow.com is my blog, which, which journals all my current work or weddings that you can nice. see. And your Instagram is the Sparrow and the Crow. Okay, and uh, you're you're that on all yes. the platforms. So yeah, so I think does um, that all the socials you did? Yeah, that's right. that's pretty much it. I, cool. I don't have Snapchat or yeah. anything like that. So Instagram's enough. You know, when I when I first started my Instagram, it was a hundred percent of it was like just my work. I would only put professional work on there, and then after my marble dropped, and I started taking selfies for the first time in my life. Now it's much more personal. My Instagram is way more about like my day-to-day -day adventures and whatever road trip or observatory I'm visiting or, you know, I mean, my dream right now would be to go back to space camp next year and, and tell my story at space camp, you know, from the stage. So that's something that I'm working towards. To so is that honestly one thing that you would recommend every doing, everyone doing at one point in their life? Is it that fun? Is it that like interesting? Because it said the National Geographic said to yeah. do it before he died. And I'm like, well, should I do space camp? For I mean, I mean, 
I think any adult would enjoy it for the fact that you just feel like a kid again. Like I love space. I love watching YouTube videos of space and different types of planets. I, I get into it, but then I just get it, like life happens and I forget. So like, I, think, I love space. I think most people will will walk away from it thinking that it was an enjoyable experience, but it won't have quite the life defining change. Like it wasn't <laughs> quite life defining as it was for me, man. Like I just it was such a, an amazing week for me of of discovery and and doing something on my own and this adventure and then of course capping it off with the right stuff award you know and having that medal girl so- I'm, I'm gonna relive this moment listen to this i'm gonna cry all over again i'm gonna like oh gotta make me relive this 240 minutes all over again <laughs> man I, i'm so grateful that you gave me a chance to come into my story i tell it to anybody that will listen to it, man it's my life's passion i mean i it's the red marble in the glass box is just until the day that I die, I mean, I'm in, on my last breath. I'm gonna be saying, "Let me tell you a story." Well, thank you for having me, man. Thank no, you, thank you for thank coming. Thank you for hearing my story. Yeah, it was wonderful. All right, I'll <laughs> catch <end>. you later. <laughs> <laughs>